podcast. I'm your host, John Duncan, and of course, I'm joined as always with Darian Smith. And we are pleased to be sitting down with UAB head coach Trent Dilfer. Trent, thank you, some, thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule <laughs> just to spend a few minutes with the Blazer Victory podcast. I'm fired up, man. Thanks for having me. It's a nice little break from drinking by a fire hose <laughs> right. all day, every day. Yes, well, I'm. Well, before we get started, you know, Super Bowl is just this past Sunday. Were you able to watch the Super Bowl? I watched the first three quarters. I was up in Nashville for the first time since I moved down here, seeing my grandson, and uh, left after the third quarter and listened to the fourth quarter on the radio, which I obviously missed a whole lot. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, well, what were your thoughts just on what you were able to see? Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's fun to see two teams play well. You know, we've had Super Bowls where one team plays well, one team doesn't, so... Uh, I do think it was the two best teams in, in the National Football League playing, which doesn't always happen either. Sometimes the team gets hot at the end, and um, those two best teams. Um, I thought both quarterbacks played really well. Uh, I thought Philly would have a more a bigger advantage at the line of scrimmage, and I thought Kansas City responded really well, especially in the second half at the line of scrimmage, and, and then offensively being able to run the ball late in the game. I mean, Mahomes obviously going to get a ton of credit, as he deserves, but their ability to run the ball in the second half, uh, I think, is what propelled them to that huge second half. Yeah, what you – I know you probably had to catch the clips of the call at the end oh, yeah. of the play. It was a hold. It was – I mean, he, he pulled he, his jersey, he pulled, yeah. yeah. it was I would, a hold. I, would, I, would, I, I like to say that that hold happens – I mean, you play football. That, yeah. that, that happens almost every play. And but he, I would say this. It happens a lot. I think the, what the refs have started doing, and I, I can't argue with them on this one, is if they're, the refs are learning football pretty well. If they see that as a primary player in the play design mm-hmm. and he's being held, they're going to throw him, which he was. If it's a secondary player away from the ball in a critical moment like that, they're typically not going to call it. They'll call it mid-game. Right. But in a big moment, they're not going to call it away from the design of the primary player, and Juju was one of the primary players on that play. See, that's why I was a center, you was a quarterback. (laughs) Well, it's impressive. Like, in my day, a lot of the refs didn't really understand what we were trying to do offensively. You know, they were very, you know, looking through a very narrow eyeglass on what they're looking for. And now you're seeing a a more educated uh, ref in football, and he understands more conceptually what the design of the play is going to be. So uh, it used to be they'd never call holdings away from an outside run. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, now they understand the backside of an outside run is really important because everything's cutting back, right? So, like, right. if that backside tackle for the 49ers, if he's holding, mm-hmm. that ref knows well, that's the key block on the whole play because yeah, they're trying to cut that thing cut back. back. Exactly. Right. Right. That's how kind of the, the, the game's evolved as it relates to scheme with refs' influence within the game. Mm-hmm. I actually think the game is better refereed than it's ever been the past really? few years. Because yeah. it seems – I don't know if it's yeah. the emergence of social media. In TV, I mean, like, yeah. almost every game's televised now. But and, everybody you know. has an opinion. Yeah. It's so it's a lot of. Yeah, it's much better. These are better refs. They work harder at it. They're held more accountable. They're smarter. They're younger. Um, it, it's They have a lot of pressure on them. So, yeah, yeah you're right. I mean, people have people would listen to me like, oh, he's so wrong. It's the worst ever. Well, I played in it. John, you didn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? I did like, listen. I don't mean you, John, <laughs> no, no, but like, no. John listening right now who's yeah, arguing right. with me, yeah. this is probably not something you want to argue with me on. Like, I, I lived it. I've studied it for nine years on ESPN. I still watch it closely. 
the the where the refs hate their jobs right now are the stupid calls on quarterbacks. They don't want to call mm. all these tic tac fouls, but in the past, they have to. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you've been at UAB for a few months. I had this in my notes. Are, are you starting <laughs> to settle in now? You know. Yeah, I've been settled in for a while. Okay. I really yeah. have. I, uh, you know, when it was high, you know, we hired forty five staffers and signed thirty five players. Mm. That's eighty personnel, and we did that in sixty days. Uh, that was crazy. Now, the back couple weeks of that wasn't as crazy. Really, the, the first two recruiting periods are the hardest. You know, that early signing period, I'd only been here for 20 days before that first one hit. And then you have that portal opportunity, right, which really is a second opportunity to sign players. Um, that was crazy because in the midst of that, I'm trying to hire coordinators and position coaches and support staff. and. Yeah. You know, making sure the you know the equipment room's right, which it was, and thank God we had great equipment room, we had great training room, and great strength staff. Thank God, because if I had to redo those departments, that would have been. I don't know if I could have done that. I'll be honest with you. I don't know if I could have put the focus into recruiting and the regular staff if I was also trying to replace those departments. But it was a lot. That that was a lot. And then it kind of settled. And then once we got the players in the building and we got into a normal lifting schedule and we started getting to know them a little bit and start earning their trust, uh, getting to know each other's stuff. There was a couple funny weeks that the coaches tell stories about. Like guys would be walking through the hallway and be like, hi, I'm Alex Mortensen. Who are you? Right. <laughs> well, I'm your tight ends analyst. <laughs> oh, Nice to finally meet you. you know, <laughs> like literally guys on the offensive side, defensive side of the ball are meeting each other. Right. The, for the first time. Right. In the building. So how do you how do you decide to divvy up your time? Is is my thing. So you you're coming in, <laughs> right. You have your wife with you, yeah. you know. And I'm and I'm just imagining all of this in my head. You got some of the coordinators, do you even did you even know some of the analysts yeah. and you have to recruit but you also have to recruit the players on the team. Yes. So uh, how do you even yes, – where, where – you are the CEO of this thing. Yeah. What, what do you put most of your time in? <laughs> it's a lot to unpack. I, I, I sought, some, sought out some really good counsel. I think David Shaw probably was the most influential. Um, yeah. We talked early on and then a couple times after. And he, his advice to me, and I've, I've listened to him – very closely is you're gonna have a thousand things to do each day and that's not an exaggeration like there's literally a thousand tasks that i could go attack he's like you gotta start making prioritizing that and he talked about lists what i've really done is i've gone to the urgent versus important yeah. so everybody knows that their thing is important and, I, and I'm, I don't think one thing is necessarily more important than the other they're all important right but certain things are urgent like they have timelines like we have to get these things done right. so i focused on the urgent I don't know if that's necessarily a great model moving forward. Um, since everything's kind since of everything's settled, but that was that was time. crisis management, yeah. right? If if you want to call this controlled chaos or crisis management, that's yeah, I had to focus every single day on the urgent. My family actually got the brunt of it. I mean, I had many talks with my daughters and my wife. Like, I didn't talk to them for like four days straight. Really? And they're like, "Dad, like we've never done this before." I'm like, "Well." This sounds awful, but you're important, but you're not urgent right now. And they understood that, you know, because they've been in periods of their lives where they're grinding in their university or their job or whatever. And I don't hear from them. And they're like, well, dad, I have urgent stuff I got to do. I'm like, I get it. Now you have to understand when I tell you. Yeah. My wife was on board since day one. She, she kind of got what this was going to look like. 
Um, she's been in his life. With yes, and we're empty time. nesters. You know, it's yeah. different. If I had a family at home, this would be brutal. If I was going home to a couple 12-year-old and 10-year-olds or something, this would be a lot harder. I have yeah. three girls. So you get I've, yeah. <laughs> If I was to tell them that, yeah, that no chance. would shatter Well, that's why I didn't coach. Yeah. So I'm going to – I'll finish this question, but you're going to ask me later on why am I just starting out coach this late in my life. Well, is that for that exact reason? So I, I got offered all these jobs in the NFL and college football for years, and I didn't do it because I had three girls. Mm-hmm. And I know my personality. I'm not a one-foot-in, one-foot-out guy. Like, I'm, a, I'm OCD. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to go over the top, whatever I jump in on. And I knew my family would be sacrificed if I did that, so I purposely stayed away from it um, until they were exiting the house. Um, and I can go from, you know, I always, you're a caregiver, then you're a coach, and then you become a consultant as a parent. Really, when they go to co- college, you become a consultant. So I felt once I was a consultant in their lives, I could go be a coach right. to a bunch of boys. So anyways, I know I changed subjects, but the urgent versus important. Um, and then really leaning on, you know, I've said this publicly, I do think this job's a little overrated. Um, I think head coaches get too much credit for building a building for what happens out on the field. But where, they do, where they're not overrated is who you hire, right? You, you have to get that right. Yeah. Um, I think you have to establish a vision for your program. You have to have a mission for everybody in the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have core values that everybody adheres to. And you have to hire the right people that can implement vision, mission, and core values. And that was actually one of my questions yeah. was um, about, I've heard you talk about culture a lot. Yes and how important it is and as a as a former player here trust me i was here when the culture was not good it was not good i mean it was players that didn't care about winning it was caring about the after party yeah and um what is your vision for culture what does that look like for you from the players well, and the coaches standpoint? yeah it's a pretty at times it can be an ambiguous word right or maybe a different term it can be esoteric like it can be like out there in the clouds like what is culture um, I think it's how people feel, right? I think at the end of the day, you have to, as a leader, have a value system in your building that makes people feel the best version of themselves, mm. or at least help them find the best version of themselves. Right. Um, the way I have found that to be successful is trust is the starting point. Like you can't make people feel good about themselves if they don't trust the people that they're in the building with. So my first talk to the team was, you know, they're expecting some fire brimstone or motivational thing. And and I went in there and I said, listen, I'm your head coach. And that does not mean squat. You should not trust me just because I have a title. And I pointed around to the coach and said, that guy is a great coach. He came from the University of Alabama. That guy is a great coach. He came from Middle Tennessee State. That guy came... For, he was a coach for years in the NFL. That guy came from Ohio State. That guy, And you shouldn't trust any of us. Our resumes are not what you trust. You trust how we interact with you, how, how we establish a relationship with you. If we're truth tellers or not. Like, if we lie to you, don't trust us. Right. If we tell you the truth, trust us. So only time will reveal. And I said, only time will we earn that trust. So this isn't going to happen in the next two weeks. It's not going to happen in the next two months, I would guess. I would guess we really don't have the answer to this until after this semester. Because mm. you have to go through spring ball, too. You have right. to lift a lot of weights. You have to learn a lot of stuff. You have to you know, have a lot of contact. You're going to be sore. You're going to be tired. You're going to be grumpy. You're going to have academics to balance. You have 
you have social issues you're dealing with, right? You have girlfriends and wives, kids, and like there's a lot going on here. I had a baby. In yes. So, so there's a lot going on, right? Right. So there, we'd be lying to each other if we thought this was going to happen overnight. But just know that's our motivation, is that we want to earn your trust. Now, you got to earn our trust. Here's how you earn our trust. Go to school. You're a student athlete. Go to class. There's a there has been a history here of players not going to class, right? So let's go to class. Um, let's go to all your tutoring sessions. Let's check your academic advisors. Let's treat women with a great deal of respect all the time. On and you know, 24/7, 365. Um, let's serve our community. Let's live for something bigger than ourselves. Um, let's you know, I, we as coaches are okay with you challenging us, but let's be respectful in how we do. Or you want to challenge us on something, we're open to that. We don't think we're always right. So if you think we're wrong and you're right, come challenge us, but do it with respect. Right. Um, how you lift? Are you on time? Do you pick up trash? Do you keep your locker room clean? Do you put your chair back? Do you throw things away? Do you clean tables? Like those types of things, that's how you're in our trust. Yeah. As we work on this together, a lot of cool things are going to naturally happen because when you're trying to earn each other's trust, culture happens. Right. It's organic. Right. It's not linear, right? Culture is organic. So um, that's you, that's my best explanation for building what people call culture. I call it the vibe. You know, you got to have a vibe in your building where people, that's why we're using this fire breathers thing. Like people want to wake up, up every morning with the hair on their arm tingling of, oh, I have a chance to chase my best today. Yeah. If I get 1% better at something today, right. I'm a fire breather. Right. And that's kind of why we, that's what, I think that's the magic that's going on in this building, to be honest with you. There's some real magic going on right now. And I honestly think it's as simple as we're all actively trying to earn each other's trust. And there's accountability that goes with that, right? And I think the players for the first time are starting to go, oh, wow, this isn't kumbaya. This isn't, you know, farts and giggles, rainbows and rose petals. This is actually... They really care about us. They make us feel good, but wow, they hold us to a super high standard. Like, I'm getting my butt chewed because I have a 73 in a class. Yeah, because you're not a 73 student. That's true. If you were a 73 student, we'd be celebrating the 73. Yeah. Because yeah. we're actually celebrating some guys that have like 68, 67s because they're working their tails off. They're going to get there. Right. But they're doing everything right. Right. But let's chase, what's chasing your best? Right. This is, it sounds like an environment that's nurturing growth. It's, nur it's definitely nurturing. So we're way more nurture than nature. Right. Uh, we appreciate the nature. We appreciate some of the athletic freaks we have. We appreciate some of the length and the size and the strength. Mm -hmm. We really do, and we're fired up about it. But I think our mentality as a staff is more about the nurturing part. Right. I understand that. Got it, John. Well, Trent, with uh, spring, spring ball starting in a couple weeks, just what are some key areas that you're going to focus on? at least, you know, heading into yeah. spring ball? Oh, gosh. This is where it gets a little overwhelming because, you know, we're looking we, – we know what the end product looks like. You know, we're, we are going to have NFL expectations for these guys with the schemes they learn, with the attention to detail in each scheme, with the nuance of their position, um, with their decision-making. You know, that's one that college football has been dumbed down to a certain degree. We, we actually want to amp it up. We think decision-making is a huge part of winning football. Um, so those are a lot of things. I, I think the bedrocks to that are, for lack of a better term, discipline. You know, we're looking for a certain type of discipline in the weight room, um, in the brief meetings we're having with them, 
in their academic life, in their their whole off the field life. We think that'll carry over. Um, I think there's a lot of competition every position. You know, one thing they heard me say is I don't see age. In fact, I purposely on my personal roster that I look at for depth charts, I don't put their grade. I don't put their eligibility. Mm. They're all names to me. And that shocks some of them because some of them think, oh, I'm here long enough. See, I work get, you seniority. Yeah. I don't believe I in that. that. Yeah, I don't believe it's in players. that. It's a meritocracy. Right. Yeah. And I know we're at a place that some people don't believe in a meritocracy. I would challenge you that the whole world is built off of meritocracy. Yeah. If you don't believe in meritocracy, you probably aren't very successful. And I would say <laughs> at, a, at a G5 level, it's so people get so accustomed to, oh, you come in, you red shirt, and you develop. At a G five level, so I love I really I love yeah. what you're saying because I think the best players should be on the field. Best players gonna play, um, and that and I would say it's the most trustworthy players gonna play. Sometimes best is misunderstood. We might have a guy. I'll just use speed as a metric here. You might have a receiver that runs four four two, and you might have a receiver that runs four five eight. Well, four four two is more talented, right? right? Right. Four four two is probably a little scarier to the secondary. Four four two might create a little more dynamic. Uh, aspect to your team, but four four two can't run a route at twelve yards and it's supposed to be twelve yards, and he can't take the right release, and he can't block in the perimeter, and he can't line up right, and he can't know the plays. He's not as good as four five eight. Right. If four five eight does all those things, right. so best to me has some trustworth has a lot of trustworthiness in there as well. So, um, but there's a lot of competition. Uh, I, I do believe that the one thing that I've really been pleased with, and I've praised them publicly as well, is Bill and Bryant did a great job of developing, and I think Lyle gets a lot of credit for this, at work ethic. These, these kids know how to work. Yeah. <clears throat> they know how to lift. Um, they know how to run. They know how to push themselves. They know how to wake up early. Um, they know a lot of the core tenets of success in work ethic. So that's good. We don't feel like we have a huge challenge there. Um, I think toughness, it sounds are, it sounds barbaric, but it's true. Um, spring ball is about finding out the soul of your team. Uh, what do they do when they hurt? What do they do when they're tired? What kind of decisions do they make? What kind of effort do you get? Do they maintain their technique? Offensive line is a, is a huge part. Like it's, it's easy to have great hand placement in the first series, the second series, the third series, the third practice, the fifth practice, the seventh practice. Can you have great hand placement when your legs are dead? When you have two broken fingers, when your shoulders hurt so bad, tired your neck hurts, you're pads. tired, you hate your coaches, yeah. you hate your teammates, your food tastes terrible, your girlfriend's ugly. <laughs> um, like when all this hits the fan, yeah. can you still put your hand in the right place? Yes. Can you still maintain those type of disciplines? To me, that is what spring ball is about. Some have accused me of spring ball being carnage. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> um, it's very hard. Spring ball in my program is probably the hardest thing we'll ever go through. <laughs> and that's intentional, right? Because we need to know what the soul of this team is on April, <coughs> excuse me, on April 15th, because now we have the summer to reshuffle, reevaluate, address some issues. Like we won't give up on kids, but we're like, hey, you know, we have a gap here to fill. Let's use the summer to fill it. And then fall camp's another opportunity to show your growth. Um, from the end of spring ball until fall camp. So uh, I know that's kind of out there in the clouds, what I'm saying, but to me that's how my brain sees it. I think the quarterback, the quarterback has, see, you don't have, this is one everybody's going to go, this will be a quote, by the way. Um, it'll probably go viral. Quarterback competitions are stupid. They're stupid. They hurt teams. 
you want a quarterback revelation. Great teams have a quarterback revelation. A guy reveals himself. Mm-hmm. He naturally just, it's not even competition. He just shows that he's revealed that he has the right stuff. He handles everything better. He knows it better. He operates it better. He throws it better. He runs it better. He, he's just better. And that reveals itself. People say, well, that happens in competition. No, it happens, it happens with immersion. You fully immerse them in an environment where they're either going to climb or they're going to fall. Right. And people, again, will say, well, no, that's competition. No, it's not. It, it's everything. And we've had this conversation with the quarterbacks. Like, there's six of you. Everything matters. And when I say everything, it's a capital E, it's a capital V, and the rest are capitalized. Like, everything matters right. to me. Because that's how the whole thing is going to reveal itself. So... I would believe we would come out of spring, um, maybe not with a revelatory understanding of who our quarterback's going to be, but a pretty good idea of who it's going to be. I think that's all connected back to, you said, the the soul of the team. And I think, just from my perspective from playing, I think it's those players that emerge as leaders that basically is the soul of your team because as a coach, and you know as a coach and a player now, that you can't be the guy as a coach to like be the soul of the team. It has to be those players, those certain has that, to be that quarterback, that center, that linebacker. Has to be and um, I think is that in spring, is that what you're gonna kind of look for those leaders? That'll be part of it, yeah. And I, I do think sometimes we try to force feed leaders. I think leaders reveal themselves as well. I think sometimes we make judgments too soon who our leaders are. Um, I do think that's one that may be more fall camp. I think we'll have an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think fall camp will be really when those core guys, and I call them the moral authority of your team. Right. So when the moral authority of your team raises its head, it's pretty obvious. Right. The coaches don't have to do a lot at that point. We Now we can become more um, weekly focused on winning the game and giving the kids tools to win games because they're going to take care of the culture piece. They're going to take care of the policing themselves piece. Gotcha. Okay, and just strictly on the field, your philosophy as far as in offensive and defensive, we, we've always had an identity here. Mm-hmm. Under Bill, we had a tough mm-hmm. run first. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to know just how you see the team and your, your vision. Um, is, is your system, would it be based on, or do you have a system you wanted to implement, or is it more based on the personnel and is it multiple? Just just the on the field question. I know this kind of early to be asked. Well, no, I, 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 I giggle because I think that identity reveals itself over time. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't, if you try to force feed it, sometimes you limit your potential. So oh, let's, uh, let's use Bill's um, philosophy, for example. Um, I want a Super Bowl with Bill's philosophy. So I 100% believe in Bill's philosophy. If you play great defense, you can run the football, and you're physically, mentally tough, it's hard to lose. Mm-hmm. Okay, But what if we try to implement that, and we realize all of a sudden, oh my gosh, our five best players are twitchy skill guys, and our offensive line's way better going laterally and pass blocking. Like what if we discover that, but yet we're trying to force feed a downhill run scheme with one running back mm-hmm. or two running backs and putting guys at tight end that are probably better receivers than they are blockers. Now you've limited the potential of your team. Right. 
So I think what you do is, and I've done this in the NFL, I did this in high school, I have an idea of a winning formula. I know what a winning, winning formula identity is. Mm -hmm. There's different ways of getting there. You can be really physical and nasty throwing a lot of screens. Mm -hmm. You can be really physical and nasty on defense, playing kind of a soft shell cover two, right. keeping everything in front of you and then destroying them once they catch the ball, right? right. You could be really physical on defense being a pressure-oriented defense and loading the line of scrimmage and, and trying to fill gaps. Like, I don't know what our identity, I don't know what these kids can do their best yet. Once we discover that, we'll be very physical. So I, I am a son of an offensive line coach. I think physicality uh, is the bedrock of any winning formula. You have to maintain blocks, you gotta get off blocks, you gotta be physical when you don't feel like being physical, right? right? So I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I think you have to be great situationally. I think you have to play certain situations that are point-deciding situations. Um, that has to be your best ball. So I, I do believe in that. I do believe you have to control the line of scrimmage offensively. That's not always done with the run game anymore. There's a lot of creative ways of controlling the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Uh, and then I think modern-day balance is probably 60-40 pass to run. Mm -hmm. I was 50-50 last year at Lipscomb. I was 49-51 the year before, and I was 51-49 the year before that. Oh, personnel-based, like you just Exactly. Think, yeah. But there's different times in games. You know, it's like at the end of the game, offensively, say we have 80 plays, that's our goal. We want to be around 40 pass, 40 run, right? That's what we want to be. But some weeks that calls for 63 passes. Some weeks that calls for 63 runs. But at the end of the year, I think it's you're going to see pretty balanced yes. offense, yep. uh, run pass, Um and then I, I would say another core component, too, is how you handle um, bad ebb and flows of games. Like, you really want your identity to be able to stop the bleeding, be the term I would use. Like, teams that lose bleed out. It starts as a nick, and then it opens up, and you don't stop it, and then it's a gash, and now you're bleeding out. That's how you lose. That third down conversion, third and third Yes. yes. Winning teams still make a lot of mistakes, yeah. but they end up being nicks. They make a mistake, and then they put a Band-Aid on it. Yeah. Right? They right. make a mistake, so it's use the, you get nicked up, you start to bleed a little bit. Instead of bleeding out, you fix it. How did you stop <laughs> that momentum? I, I used to be a player, and that's how we yeah. used to lose. We, we, we would be competitive yeah. when I was here, and then, and then it just started. So I think it's mindset, it's how you practice, it's awareness. I think a lot of being a good team is aware of where you're at, like situational awareness, aware of your own emotional, um, your own emotional stuff at the time. Like, do I have bad self-talk right now? Am I negative mind and am I a positive mind? Um, am I expecting something good to happen or am I expecting something bad to happen? Uh, like these are a lot of the mental sciences that I've studied for years with some of the best people in the world that I try to implement as a coach. Like we'll talk a lot in the middle of practice. Okay, this is a crappy practice so far. Does that mean it's going to end a crappy practice? Like where are you at right now? What are you thinking? Why do you think it's a bad practice? Why do you think we're making this mistake? Okay, can we fix it? Because this is going to happen in games, yeah. right? Can we fix it on the spot? So there's a lot of that stuff that I think is undervalued in team building and that's how you develop a winning program, a consistent, a consistently winning program. And I think it goes back to you just setting that culture for the program. So yeah, it's, I, I just know as a player that changing that tide, sometimes it just feels like it's almost distant. Mm -hmm. Like uh, you, you, they they convert on third and fifteen, 
on a screenplay and they go down and score and your, your, your lead shrinks from seven, you know, now you're tied and they get an interception. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's sometimes it like mentally you yeah, can feel right. defeated yeah. and it, huh? like, oh, it's happening again. Oh. It's, uh, I'm wondering just how. Well, I think I'll use this example for our listeners. I think this happens in every walk of life. That bad stuff starts to happen and we feel like we're victims to the bad stuff instead of being advocates to good stuff following it. I think bad stuff happening is an opportunity for good stuff to follow. And I think when you get a group of people thinking that direction, you no longer have people that have, and I can tell you, you have some scar tissue from 2010 to 2012 because of how you guys lost games. So you don't ever let your players develop that scar tissue. Right, you don't ever, everything, every negative can be turned is an opportunity for a positive to happen. I'll give you an example, I was driving back to Nashville last week in the first 20 miles on 65, I had like four things happen to me that I was like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be the worst trip ever. I pulled over to get gas. As I was getting gas, I'm like, you know what? It will be if I keep thinking this way. Or I can get back in this car and I can turn on my favorite music and I can thrive for the next two hours and think that nothing good things is going to happen. I get to see my wife. I get to see my daughter. I get to see my son-in-law. I get to see my grandson. Um, I'm going to be careful on the road. Blah, 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 blah. Like, I'm, this is a cheesy analogy, but like I've trained myself through sport to something that started poorly. You almost are trying to will something good to happen after it. Now, put that in the sports context where you actually have control. Yeah. Right? And if you're in positive mindset and if you're looking, okay, I just threw an interception. I'm being booed. There's a lonely walk from the middle of the field to the sideline. If I can now train my mind from the middle of the field to the sideline going, wow, this is an opportunity for me to come back on. The We're getting the ball back. I'm going to get the ball back and I'm going to show everybody that I'm the I'm dude. Get another opportunity. I got another opportunity to do something good. I learned from that. I put a Band-Aid on that little neck. I'm not bleeding out because I threw an interception. I'm looking at all the great things that are going to happen. I'm going to get to throw the ball. Coach said I'm going to throw it 35 times today. That's going to be the one mistake I make. I'm going to be 34 or 35 with one pick and five touchdowns. Yeah, That's a pretty go. good stat line. Yeah, yeah. And I keep telling myself that, and you start training a group of people to talk to themselves like that, talk to each other like that. You have coaches that coach like that. You're not a bad person if you made a mistake. You're a good person that made a mistake. Mm. Now go fix it. Yeah, and it's so easy to talk <laughs> about it, but the key thing you said, you said in that moment, you said, okay. Yeah. And you stopped right there at the okay, and then you said... I'm going to change this around. Well, I do something really unique on our first practice day of the week, which will be Tuesdays here. Um, we actually call it freedom to fail Tuesdays. We want them to make mistakes on Tuesdays. As long as they're fast, as long as they have great effort, they have great attitudes doing it, they're focused, yep. they're energetic. You know what I mean? Like, yep. we're fine. Yep. Today's the day. Today's the day. You don't understand that front. You're confused. Go full speed. Make the mistake. We're gonna fix it, baby. Mm -hmm. Way to go full speed when you didn't know what was going on. Yeah, that makes sense. Right? Like that, that route concept. I didn't understand. I didn't really get the install meaning that right. I went out and messed up, but I messed it up with full gusto. Right. Boom! I got a great. I got a great receiver coach. that's gonna fix that. I like that. You know what I mean? So like yeah. now they're like Tuesdays. They're not tentative. They're not scared. And by the way, when you give them that freedom, they don't make as many mistakes. Mm -hmm. They're not locked up. Like all athletes, myself included, got locked up trying to that performance yeah, anxiety. Mm -hmm. I got to do right. I'm trying to impress. They're going to be mad at me if I mess up. I'm going to get benched. I'm going to be the third string guy. 
I'm not going to be upset, you know, and we have all this talk that goes in our head, and that just locks us up. But when you take the shackles off a player, and like, bro, go. Go be you today. Just be you the best version you can possibly be today. Now, Wednesdays, we expect it to be fixed. Right. Right, Wednesday, we've taken that Band-Aid off. It's already scarred up. I'm a new person. I regenerated. Now, Wednesday, I made the mistakes. Wednesday's going to be clean. We'll still have a few mistakes here or there, and we'll talk through them. Thursday is going to be super tight. Right? Friday is going to be a cleanup, walk through, we're ready to roll, we're traveling, whatever it is. But messing up full speed at least gives you an opportunity. Yes. 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 At least it does yes. that. Yes, uh, I just had a non-football. So you mentioned music earlier. Right. What, 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 what does Trent like to listen to? Like, what are a couple I'm of- super eclectic, so okay. <clears throat> you can laugh at me. <laughs> Remember, three daughters. I have three daughters, daughters I've, got, well. I've got a daughter as well. So. Here are some of my playlists. I'm an Apple Music guy, Spotify and people, go ahead, feel free to... Yeah, Spotify's big. I have, <laughs> I have Kingdom, which is all my Christian music. I have uh-huh. Big Hair, which is my 80s rock. I got Old Grooves, which is kind of my 70s, 80s stuff. Um, I got Motivational stuff. I got Training Montage. There's my Rocky and stuff like that. Yeah. There you go. Country. My Tahoe boat days, which let's open that one because that's very eclectic. This is our family on vacation every summer. That goes from Brad Paisley to Bon Jovi to Brett Eldridge to Bruno Mars to Carly Rae Jepsen to the Chainsmokers to uh, some of you guys, Daniel Bradbury to Darius Rucker. To Florida Georgia Line, the Fifth Harmony. Now we're getting like those are yeah, those are some transitions, man. Uh, Goo Goo Dolls, um, Justin Timberlake, be a lot of Bieber, big Bieber family, um, Chesney, um, Sugarland, Tim McGraw, Zach Brown, Calvin Harris. Like we're all over the map. You know, you have three daughters. I grew up. One Direction and um, Hannah, I've sung Hannah Montana songs out the sunroof to embarrass my girls. Uh, I can sing Disney songs. Like I'm all over the place. But if it's just me in the office and I'm I'm chilling, it's usually Christian or country yeah. or my old groups. I'm big '70s R&B guy. Players ain't tried to have you greedy yet. So last year I told them I would learn. Um, when we won state, we knew we were going to win. Like, yeah. it wasn't funny. I mean, like, we knew we were going to win every game last year. I said, okay, if we win state by 50, I'll grin. That was the goal, was win by 50. We won by 42. Uh, but they, by the day of the game, CJ Jim Coley came to me. He was one of our corners. And Caleb Beasy came to me and said, Coach, when we win by 50, we don't want you to gritty because we don't want you to embarrass yourself now that you have this new job. It'll so that's go, why they didn't get to 50. They it, said, well, well it'll, it'll go viral. They go, Coach, you don't want to start at UAB with it going viral. Because I tried it one day. And I used to actually be able to dance. Like, I used to go to the club in college. Like, I could I actually have some... some I, I tell myself the same thing. But I, if it makes you feel good. No, I used to. I, and now I can't. Well, I got a fake knee for one. And so I tried to gritty in practice. And they were like, stop. Like, they're mad at me. They're like, stop. How can you be this bad? I'm like, I'm not that bad. And, like, and the coach was like, no, coach, you're bad. <laughs> so I... I did not do that. So I'm not going to be Mac Brown and trying to dance at the end. Well, I will say, though, Ted is good at taking some good dancing videos. So, <laughs> fair warning. My last question is this for former players. Um, how would you want them to support the program? So we've already talked through it. I've met with some former players. Um, Coach Sig, Roddy, a bunch of these guys. And I want I want you guys to feel like this is your home. Right? I want you guys in the building. 
I want you around. I want to hear about, I mean, Bill did so many great things here. <clears throat> I want to hear about um, something. I want to learn from that, from the players. Uh, I'm having lunch with Bill next week. Um, I want to make sure I, I tap into one of the best college football coaches in the last 10 years. Uh, like, I want to learn from the, from the old players, celebrate <clears throat> their involvement in building this thing. I've said this publicly, I'll say it again, the foundation here is so well set. Um, really, the challenge here is going from good to great. Like, if I want to sum it all up, it's we're already good. Um, can we help us go from good to great? Well, Trent, thank you so much for taking some time out and hope to do this again one day, but thank you again, man. Of course, let's do it again. See you guys.